0: Got to go, hey, hey. That, that, that can't go continue, JT. You're going to a dangerous place.
1: <laughs> uh, but I love PCU, and everybody knows that movie,
0: and it's totally fine. This is like the honorary PCU tribute episode in a way. I could probably spin up like five different top five lists just from the contents of that movie.
1: Uh, there are absolutely a number of top fives to come out of PCU, but uh, this is a good one because it is a good running joke. Uh, and this one is... The top five Michael Caine and Gene Hackman movies, uh, which I'm very excited for. Um, but before we even do that, uh, we have some big news, Jared, Like some relatively big
0: news. One one might say it's well, not not groundbreaking. It's a little it's a little lower than such a high piece of news, you know. But I'm yeah, it's got a pretty good fidelity to it. It does have a good fidelity. So based on
1: many much feedback we've gotten from you and also many much dialogue we've had amongst ourselves, uh, you know, Wingman Daily is awesome and Wingman is definitely our brand. We are here for you. However, this particular flavor of this particular podcast is really more about the top five. And so we have rebranded this particular podcast. I'm going to keep saying particular like that because it's particularly funny to me uh, in, as the lo-fi top five. So for those of you who lean into the music nerddom like I do, the lo-fi is because lo-fi is kind of like a chill, relaxed vibe, right? We are not movie critics. That's not
0: what we do. It's not even remotely. We are critics of movies, but we are not movie critics. I was about to say, we watch movies and we are most certainly critics, but we are definitely not movie critics. Correct. So we have rebranded this as the lo-fi top five
1: uh, because it's a chill way to look at at, at sort of building top five lists around, you know, fun stuff in... Entertainment, and so that's what it is now, and that's really all there is to it. Jared, anything you want to add?
0: No, I'm I'm loving that, and I am really enjoying also that I think that I think we need to lean in further to is things like today's episode, this which we'll talk about just a sec, where we're not trying to do top five comedies of all time. The AFI does a great job with their list, so we want to make those again those kind of lo-fi lists that you know you're not going to go off searching for like I got to find the five best comedies made in 1986 or whatever. Right, okay. We're doing, we're doing some goofy stuff. And it's very personal things that we find really fun to talk about. And that we hope that y'all really love listening to.
1: I think that's perfectly said. And this week, because we are doing the top five Michael Caine or Gene Hackman movies, which is a reference of course, to PCU. If you've not seen PCU, go do so. Um, you know, you mentioned personal, personally, this list was, um, harder than I thought it was going to be. Because when I heard Kane and Hackman, when you threw this out last week, I'm like, oh, I've seen so many things they're in.
0: Not true. That's just not true. Yeah, <laughs> I, I realize that you are you are likely, and again, this is going leaning into our generational thing. Uh, again, just for, for some of the newer listeners, are, are my buddy JT's firmly in that millennial g- demographic and I'm in that Gen X demographic? Though we sort of straddle the lines in a lot of different ways. But Because of that, you've been exposed to Michael Caine basically as Chris Nolan's go-to utility guy. Yep. Right? He's like, he is literally Chris Nolan's utility infielder. He can play third, he can play short, he can do a lot of things. But he's never, I don't even know if you've seen him as a leading man in a lot of movies. And that was something I was wondering what you'd be bringing to the list with.
1: Yeah, so he is the uh, Tashira Mufune of of Chris Nolan. Uh, Yeah, so what was interesting is, so I I put the list together, and I think I'm at 18 total movies collectively, maybe a few more. Hackman, way more in my wheelhouse, uh, as it turns out, just because he did a lot of stuff in the 90s, uh, and sort of obviously, well, not obviously, I found out he retired, cool story. Uh, You know, all the stuff that I know of Kane, with very few exceptions, are all... Sort of more newer side parts, right? He's never really like the guy. And the few, once I actually started really researching it and found the movies where he was the guy, I found out that like I have seen them once or twice and (laughs) not nearly enough to like speak to them intelligently. So yeah, it wound up being a much more difficult list, which this now seems to be a running theme. I still don't have a top five and here we are recording the podcast. So, uh,
0: you know, we'll see how that goes. Well, it's okay. It's not like this will be permanently on the internet for the future of all of humanity to be exposed to, ever. Luckily, the internet's not forever. No, of course not. I do want to take a moment for those you know, unfortunate souls who have not had the pleasure of PCU to provide two quotes from that movie, if I if I may, uh, Mr. JT. Oh, please. Okay. So, there's a character in the movie, his name is Pigman. And this is a quote from one of the other characters referencing Sir Pigman. Pigman is trying to prove the Kane Hackman theory. No matter what time it is, 24 hours a day, you can find a Michael Kane or Gene Hackman movie playing on TV. And for basically all of the rest of the movie, you, Pigman is watching TV. Anytime you see him, he's in an uncomfortable-looking chair watching TV. Uh, quick Hugh spoiler alert. <laughs> not really, because it's just not one of those movies. There's a moment where Pigman gets up out of the chair and he goes as follows A bridge too far. Kane and Hackman in the same movie. This is my thesis, man. This is my closing argument. I can stop watching TV. Yeah. <laughs> and so the Kane Hackman theory is what gave birth to today's episode. And again, I don't think either of us can say it just enough times how much we think PCU is worth your time.
1: Yeah. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. Uh, So when it comes to worth your time, one of the things that you do every week is figure out how to rate these movies and which of them was worth your time. So Jeremy,
0: walk us through the spreadsheet this week. Absolutely, JT. You know, if I were to do a word cloud analysis of our podcast, I think the word rubric would probably be like in a really big font. I'm just saying that. Probably a a little overdone. So... Every week I make my little spreadsheet of how I want to approach the topic. I add in a little uh, JT person, uh, Jeremy personal score and see where it comes up with. So here are the categories for this week. The movie itself, which is, which is what, I, what I generally consider the movie on a 1 to 10 kind of scale. The rest of the cast, so the non-Cane and or Hackman uh, actors and actresses in the movie. I had a score for how much I felt that the, the Kane or Hackman are irreplaceable in the film. Could they be replaced by someone else? And to be honest, I used two specific actors in mind for, for my uh, replaceability category, and those were Sean Connery and Jack Nicholson, in that Sean Connery could probably play or could have probably played many of Michael Kane's roles, and Jack Nicholson could probably have done many of Gene Hackman's roles. That's not universal. Don't get angry at me for it. It was just, I needed something. The next category was rewatchability, just generally. Is this movie a very rewatchable one? I have another fun one here. Well, actually, I'll say that for last. I have the uh, screen time presence for the for the main two here. So, how much in the movie are they really? And finally, the kane Hackman theory itself, namely, how often are these movies actually on cable TV? <laughs> and when? When I first did it, I was going to limit it to just the 90s because of when PCU came out. It's a late 90s film. But then I felt that really wouldn't be fair to their whole body of work. And, you know, so I, I played around with that just a little bit. Uh, so the the Kane-Hackman theory score, and I did weight that the highest point score of the of the rubric this week. Oh, Tied wow. only, well, actually, I tied it with their actual screen time because I felt that movies where they're not really on screen that much, you know, it's got to get a little ding for that.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I love it. That's it. I love, I love everything about that this week.
0: Here's the craziest part, JT. This week, for the first time in the recorded history of me making this spreadsheet, which is exactly nine tabs large, I added no Jeremy's favorite movie nostalgia points whatsoever. The actual scoring was, in fact, the actual way I wanted these movies to go. Now, I would have used points had that not worked out so nicely, but. Just turns out it wasn't needed this time around. So we'll have an absolute score at the bottom of a 50 all the way up to a 97.5. So huge range. Huge, huge range this week.
1: Wow, that is a big range. And no Jeremy points is a big deal. Ladies and gentlemen, it's history.
0: (laughs) In the making.
1: So uh, with that being said, let's launch right into it, which means we have to talk about our Shawshank. So for those of you who do not know, the Shawshank test is uh, Shawshank being the most rewatchable movie ever. Uh, is there anything that just very, very clearly is like the definer of the genre? So in the Gene Hackman, Michael Caine theory, uh, is there any movie that just jumps off the page where it's like, well, this clearly is the best of the best? Uh, I only have one entry this week.
0: I have one entry, and I would I would consider it definitive and irreplaceable. Really? <laughs> yes. And that is, if I may, may I, may I take the lead this time, sir? Yes, you may. Well, I think it has to be a bridge too far, because in PCU, it's a bridge too far. I can stop watching TV! And of course, it's a bridge too far. Boom, <laughs> oh done. For those of you who don't know, they're both in the movie. It's an amazing movie also. But even if it was a terrible movie, I still would have Shawshanked it just because of PCU.
1: Yeah, same. It's the only one that I wanted to Shawshank. I, I'll be honest, so A Bridge to Far is something I have seen. Came out on June 15th of 1977. I couldn't believe it was only a 63. I thought it would be way higher than that. That's like pretty not
0: high. <laughs> yeah, it, it's in those lists of war movies that we keep seeing these lists. Like these are some of these canonical amazing war movies that actually aren't that great as movies. They're fun to watch. They're good romps. Like For me, The Dirty Dozen's in that same category, it, it's not really a great movie, but it's just so much fun to watch. And the performances are great and the action's great. But as a movie goes, like it's not all that deep. There's not many big arcs going on. And I'd say the same of Bridge Too Far, which would definitely be something I would remake, by the way. I think that, oh, oh, yeah. that story with modern storytelling and pacing and special effects, like there's no reason. Why aren't they making more? Like we don't need every movie to be a Dunkirk that's four and a half hours long. And, and I mean, it's great and all, but like, we can just have a lot more World War II action movies. I think everybody would enjoy it. No?
1: Yeah. No, I think that's actually a really good call. That'd be a great one to remake. Uh, all right. So we can get into the top five. And Jeremy, this week, you have the honors, my friend.
0: Okay. Now, I've done a little new new thing a lot this week, which is I've added to my list the ones of mine that I believe you will predict are on my list. Okay. And in turn, I have five predictions for what I think your list is this week. Oh, I like it. Okay, cool. And it's inspired by you, JT, because you've been you've been playing that with me for the past couple of episodes, where you're like, "Oh, James gonna have this on his list." So now I'm leaning into it, as they would say. That's the phrase, right? Leaning in. Yeah, Le- yeah, yeah. This first one is my only prediction that is on both our lists. Okay, so that's. I'm gonna leave it at that. Uh, it is, and this time I'm going from my highest order to lowest for no particular reason. February twenty seventh, nineteen eighty seven, with a Metacritic score of seventy six and the J- Jeremy spreadsheet score of ninety seven point five. Okay, was that enough to get into your top five? Do, are we,
1: oh yeah, I know what this
0: is. This it's Hoosiers. Yes, is it, is, yes, it of one of your, is it one of your top five?
1: Well, if you'll remember, I don't have all five yet. It's one of the ones that would could have been the fifth for sure. It's on the bubble, kind of thing. <laughs> it's the, yeah. There's there's two movies on the bubble. This was this is one of them. So yes,
0: Hoosiers is great. Awesome. My, uh, my pithy description to try to see if I could fool you with a little of a ruse, my job was to inspire and train in a hopeless situation.
1: <laughs> so I had. I only have my short description of this one because I wasn't sure if it was going to be the full one. And so it said, making white guys good basketball.
0: <laughs> the problem is, if I was really trying to get you, the, you know, if I even say sports, it's literally one of two sports movies in both of their repertoires. Right, they did. Neither of them are big into the to the sports movies, and I'm. I have a hunch where the other one is. Anyhow, um, I love Hoosiers. It's probably a moment to to say this. Uh, Coach Dale is Gene Hackman's character. This was on my. I think I gave this a ten out of ten. on Irreplaceable actors. I don't mm. think. I think you could certainly have made Hoosiers with other people and had a great film. I don't think it becomes the magical what I would consider a top three sports movie of all time kind of movie without Gene Hackman's presence. I think his intensity in the movie, combined with what I would say, I call it his finest work. That's my little note to myself here. I personally think this is Hackman's finest work. Wow. Okay. Other than this sort of weirdly awkward kiss with Barbara Hershey, that is definitely on a um, Nicole kidman Reg- and <laughs> wait, wait, maybe we can make that list. Maybe the top five Nicole Kidman-like chemistry moments in movies. This kiss... Yep. Actually, if you've ever listened to Bill Simmons on, on the Rewatchables talking about Tom Cruise kissing in movies, I yep. think this is on par with all that. It's bad. They just, like, shove their lips at each other
1: it's it's not it's not good. I wish there was if there was video for the podcast, people would have seen me immediately shake my head and start getting uncomfortable when you mentioned this. This it makes me this is so cringy. It's so cringy.
0: It's as if two people who had taken their dentures out were trying to kiss. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: no offense to anyone listening who wears dentures. I know it's tough. Okay, so I would say that Gene Hackman in this movie. It, and I went looking very intently at his at his repertoire. It's one of his full times as a as a true leading man. In other words, he's led many movies before, but not with such a deep character who has so much range, right? Gene Ackman is actually not just the hard ass that he often plays. He's also very tender. He takes care of the Dennis Hopper's character in a in both like kind of that tough love but also soft love kind of way. Yeah. He does his best with Barbara Hershey (laughs) and the way he takes the way he takes care of the kids. And then the way he actually performs his coach, you have one of his most multifaceted roles. Are you still ill from picturing the kiss?
1: No, I'm just laughing because for some reason when he said he did his best, it just made me like, they don't kiss. They just mouth press. I don't know. It just just
0: made me. That's (laughs) about right. It's like the director said, like, look, you know how you guys normally kiss? Like, no, I don't want you doing that. just, just get up all near each other and just like, yeah. you know, what a three-year-old might think kissing is supposed to be like. I want you to do yeah. some of that. It's so weird. Yeah. Come yeah. here, Tony. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, actually, just a wonderful performance. I don't think – I was I was really looking at other movies. I, and look, you haven't seen, I think, the two together. I did the math. It's, it's hundreds of films. But yeah. I don't think there's any one other movie where you see as much of uh, Gene Hackman as in this one.
1: Yeah, probably not. Um, no, probably not. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, listen, Hoosiers is a great movie. And it's a—it's like, you know, I love sports. I love sports movies. I love basketball. I, As it turns out, doing this list, I love Gene Hackman. So, yeah, I, I love this pick. That's why it was a bubble pick for me. And the only reason it wasn't a guaranteed one is because, uh, I don't know, it, it felt... It felt almost obvious, but then there's also I'll talk why about there's some other stuff that, that happened later, which is why this didn't just immediately get thrown to the top. Uh, but it's like a classic, and it's also the archetype for a lot of sports movies are are on some Hoosier stuff faux show. So
0: oh, I think yeah. this is the film archetype, the archetypical. Ooh, I think that's right. Coach like hard ass coach role like when you watch Kurt Russell and Miracle. He's amazing, and, he, and he's channeling her Brooks really, really well. If you've ever seen her Brooks actually coaching, but you still can't help but watch that and think he's sort of channeling Coach Dale from Hoosiers. You know, hundred percent. Yep, hundred percent. So it all feels derivative off that. Uh, by the way, interesting note on this one: David Onspa, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that exactly right. The director. His his other biggest movie, Rudy. Oh well,
1: he's got a type.
0: Know. Yeah. But I talked to my buddy Dan about him, who's who's from Hollywood, and apparently he's just really picky at movie selection because he didn't do much else. He did a bu- he did a bunch of other little things. He did a bunch of episodes of the TV show Staying Elsewhere, but never really like went crazy career wise, and might have been like too picky and passed on some possibly great opportunities. If
1: you're gonna be too picky, I would be too picky with Rudy and Hoosiers.
0: Considering I said earlier the top three thing, I think Rudy's. One of the other two, so agree. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, fair. Uh, no, listen, I love that pick. Uh, okay, let's see. Where do I want to start? Um, Wait, but was I right?
0: Did you have that on movies you thought I would pick?
1: So I, so that was no, I didn't. I have two that I think you are going to pick, and that was not okay. one of them.
0: Okay, all right, all right.
1: Uh, I'll start with March eighth, nineteen ninety six, with a seventy two percent on the Metacritic. Go on. How about I'll give you Christine Baranski and Diane West. Weast? Yep. That's what I said.
0: That one. Uh, this is in the, I will say my five word pong description, definitely one of JT's picks and the movie is yep. the birdcage.
1: That's, this, this is it. Right. So the way <laughs> I described it is an obnoxious son, unreasonably demands family upends entire life so he can marry young. Um, nice. <laughs> so there's a, there's, a couple of very small pieces of trivia. I, I tried to stick to only Gene Hackman stuff. Um, so the coolest one I thought was when Gene Hackman is on the ladder, he gives a peace sign in reference to Richard Nixon. So Hackman was actually on Nixon's enemies list back in the '70s. That's hysterical. That's awesome. It's so cool. I, like, Gene Hackman's such kind of like a badass anyway. But that was so good. Uh, I love Mike Nichols, which is a, I think now as someone who has grown up and like started to like really love movies and stuff, like it makes more sense why I like this movie so much. Uh, a couple funny things about Mike Nichols in this is he required that Nathan Lane and Robin Williams always film the first scene uh, with Gene Hackman to the letter because he knew none of the three of them would stay on script after, so he needed one clean take. So every time the first take, they had to stick to the script, and then he just gave up afterwards. Wait, that's great trivia. Does it say how often that's the one they used? It does not. I couldn't find that, but I love it because it's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing I thought was funny is Mike Nichols carried a sound blanket around for most of this movie because he would be laughing so hard behind the camera that they had to actually keep him quiet, which is so great. Uh, and then this one's crazy, but I just wanted to bring this to bring this up. So while filming Birdcage, Hank Azaria, uh, who's apparently very good friends with Billy Bob Thornton, was working on Sling Blade, and so the two of them, who have very distinctive voices and behaviors, would drive around town as though they were in a buddy cop movie together playing the two characters. And wow. I just wish there was a camera in that vehicle for any number of that. Because to watch Agador Spartacus and Carl Childers talking would be amazing. That would be absolutely amazing.
0: Right. Like nowadays, that would be its own Instagram live show. Like Yeah, it's exactly. Doing, yeah. It'd be, which would be great.
1: Yeah. So – you knew this was going to be on my list. Like this is a sentimental, sentimental favorite of mine. My, my birth mother and I watched this movie. No joke, at least fifty times together. Like it was. It was just our favorite. That being said, I genuinely do think the Birdcage is like a shining example of comedy on a tremendous amount of levels. Uh, it was really well done. Um, also, I think thinking that it's twenty-four years old, like it's fully appropriate for today's world. Like what the Birdcage managed to do was push the stereotypes to the absolute edge on both sides and still find the comedy in it, which is a really difficult thing to do, specifically to think about, like, you know, today, where it feels like we are further on sides than ever. Um, Hackman as Senator Keeley was so conservative and so uptight that it was genuinely laughable. And Nathan Lane, as Albert, was so over the top, he was, like, comic book gay. And you wound up kind of loving and feeling for both of them. And then sandwich in the middle is Armand, who was brilliantly portrayed by Robin Williams, who just loved his son and loved his hub- husband and wanted to do right by everybody and like couldn't figure it all out. Now, one thing I do want to say is that at the center of the story is Val, who's the son, who is like a self-centered piece of garbage, who I have no respect for. And the big flaw in this film is that he never gets his comeuppance. Like he still sort like even though he was just a miserable piece of trash the entire time, it still sort of works out for him. And I always did hate that. That being said, Hackman is the reason this movie works. As brilliant as Williams was being Williams, this was Nathan Lane's coming out party, no pun intended, to Hollywood. He was already hugely successful sure. on Broadway. This is like what made him like, oh, you can do film stuff. Like we could use you all the time. This
0: is how he got to be Timon or, or Pumbaa. He was Timon. Timon? Yeah, because he would yell Pumbaa. I just remember his voice being pu- yelling at Pumbaa. Nice. Good call.
1: <laughs> so uh, like... All of that being said, Hackman really held it together, right? Like he needed to play it exactly as he did. And he was flawless. He has lots of little stuff in here. Like he'd be craving chocolate and like his entire, like, like when he was completely unaware of what was happening at the dinner table, there's all these like very, very little things that he did and choices that he made in the character that made it so believable, but not reprehensible. You never hated the guy. You almost felt bad for him. And that's purely on Hackman's shoulders as how well he played the, the role. Um, and also Mike Nichols. So, yeah, Birdcage was going to be on my list, and it is.
0: <laughs> Nicely done. All right, I'm going to stick in theme here, if I may. Please. October 9th, 1971, with a Metacritic score of 94, Jeremy's score of 90.5, firmly on the JT is going to know this is on my list, and briefly described as two armed men chase after one armed man. So... This is The French Connection.
1: I 100% knew it was going to be on your list, and I'm very excited
0: to talk to you about this. Awesome. Now, you watched this this past week, right, think Sure did. So I haven't watched it in about, I'm going to go with three, four years. So I've seen it recently enough, but there will definitely, you, you could probably bring up a couple of plot points that might be a little fuzzy for me. Uh, first thing I find interesting, before I even get into the, to the movie itself, the director, William Friedkin, he made this, he made The Exorcist, Two of which I think two of the top-grossing films of the 1970s, and again, very little else. It's so interesting to keep finding these themes of these critically acclaimed, super popular, et cetera, movies. Like, why aren't these people the the Spielbergs or the or the, the whoever's of, of any generation? They only do a couple in and then out. Anyhow, yeah, French Connection. Uh, Gene Hackman plays one, Popeye Doyle. Again, I'd argue really hard to picture someone else in this role, just the unabashed anger, like the raw like this is this is almost as if the direction was you are just all emotions all the time. You have zero uh, barriers of uh, you have zero filter. you're gonna you know, you're not actually a great person and go and <laughs> yeah. Jackman's like I can do that and does and does amazingly well his intensity throughout this film his kind of no holds barred I am going to get my man uh I, you know uh, a cop ethos that he that he plays in this is just amazing even the way he treats his partner and look I I'm, I'm not a cop I don't know what it's like but everything that the movies tell me is that when there's partners, like they're like they're tight, right? I mean, we had a whole duo thing we talked about recently, right? But yeah. there's like this is definitely not a Merton Riggs situation. Popeye Doyle treats, I forgot his character's name, Roy Scheider, like like he's his, like almost his aide. And like he does, you know, they do things together and all, but it's definitely not like super buddy cop. Then you pair that with uh one of the, I don't know, five greatest car chases of all time that does have some hinkiness to it, but still an amazing car chase. Like defining car, I mean, that and Bullet, you know, those two movies brought us car chases, which you know, probably got perfected by the Blues Brothers, but we're going to stick with it for the intensity here. Anyhow, I love Hackman's portrayal of Doyle, who I know is a complicated character, which I'm sure you're about to talk about. And I love the performance here.
1: Uh, I knew this would be on your list. Uh, there is no argument about the performance here. He was brilliant. Like Hackman was genuinely brilliant. Uh, I did watch it this week, so let me tell you, let me tell you a tale, my friend. So the reason I don't have a number five is because this was it. Because okay. it's The French Connection, right? It's ninety four percent on Metacritic. It's like one of the most well regarded movies potentially of all time for a lot of people, specifically filmy people. People yeah. love this movie. So I had seen this multiple times, remember it fondly, and was like, I'll watch it again. It's been a while. It's been at least like five or six years since I watched it. I should watch it. And I watched it. So putting aside the very casual racism and some other random things that clearly just put this movie at a moment in time, which again, it's from a moment in time, so that's okay. I got to tell you, meh. Wow. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. Watching it, maybe, and listen, I had a bit of a challenging week personally. I had some health stuff, didn't feel great. Maybe I wasn't in the right emotional state to like really just lean in and enjoy it. However, in watching it again, listen, there's a lot of like archetypal stuff that happened. I like the 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 scene, I don't think there's any comparison to bullet. Bullet's a hundred times better, but that scene, the car scene is huge. Like that chase scene is huge. Like I will give you that. However, how they got to that scene is one of the hinkiest things. I don't remember it being that bad, but this is not a spoiler. Gene Hackman is on a roof that is at minimum, I watched it once and didn't rewind, I want to say at least 10 stories if you include the fact that this is New York City, it's a mezzanine, and then there's a roof. He's got to go to the second layer of the roof to get to the actual roof. So he's 10 stories up sees a guy far enough away that he can see that he's on the street. So he's now not on the building. He's far enough away that you can see over the top and he's running. Gene Hackman somehow makes it down the stairs and then is, I don't know, a mere 20 feet behind this guy. What did the guy do? Stop for hot dogs. Like there is zero chance that Gene Hackman's body got him down the stairs fast enough to catch up with that dude. That's Just a small hinky thing. It's fine for the sake of the movie. It doesn't matter, but
0: it's been brutal. JT, JT, do you have any idea how fast Gene Hackman is? Well, the only way Gene Hackman clears 10
1: stairs, like 10 floors, is if he jumps down the middle of the staircase
0: Uh, onto a bed. You said in our prep that you were doing some math. Is there any chance you did a if one policeman is running Northwest <laughs> at an average foot pace of six miles an hour and a vigilante is running at a, no, you didn't do any of that. It wasn't, I was not doing that math. No, look, I, so what you're saying is you haven't done the math on it. And this, you know, there's, there's no, there's no, you're just, you're just putting circumspect here. This is purely circumspect. Like, I don't even know if all those floors counted. You might've actually <laughs> only been on the third floor. It's very possible. It's very possible.
1: All I'm saying, that scene aside, listen, it's still very good. And again, removing yourself from the fact that this movie's from 1977, like like it's it's incredible. It's like it's a very, very good movie. It's a, it's it deserves to be considered a classic. I watching it again, it wasn't there were other movies where I was like, I think I gotta put these other movies ahead of it. Now, the derivative work of this probably is makes it worthwhile for sure alone, because a lot of things came from here, for sure. Absolutely. And there's no doubt. And I want to be very clear before I get absolutely lambasted by your friends. Gene Hackman was brilliant in this. I'm not taking away Hackman's performance. However, the story itself, honestly, was a little underdeveloped and then all of a sudden rushed. Like, there's a long long part in this where you don't really know what they're trafficking in. And then they don't even say the word until like 14 minutes after they introduced the bat. Like, you have no idea what's happening, which I'm sure was intentional, but...
0: I don't know. It's just kind of like some of you felt a little lazy. It, you know, it's very funny you say that. A movie that I'll talk about in Pong, that I just watched uh, this week, has uh, suffers from some of the same kind of issues. And I sort of started thinking to myself, is that maybe just a '70s thing? Might uh, have been. Because, and I don't want to go too far down the tangent right now, but I showed uh, I showed the boys Tron this week, mm. and what Sam, my eldest, said to me was, "So, Dad." you know, a lot of that really didn't make any sense whatsoever. Right. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Even for going whether or not you knew what computer lingo was and all that, like there are certain things in that movie that actually don't make sense. And what I had to say to him is it's sort of what Jeff was trying to say to you on the, on that one um, Would You Watch episode, a lot of stuff in the 80s didn't make sense. Right. right. It was just right. sort of the 80s. I think there's might be something about the 70s where they don't necessarily connect – all of the narrative together in a way to give you enough of the story that leaves you with a, wait, is that guy the bad guy? And what exactly did they do wrong that has that yeah. guy chasing that person so much? Because I think that's sort of a thing.
1: Yeah, that I, I do think it's, again, moment in time. Like, I think it, it fits in. I can see why it would have been a runaway hit in this time because it did a lot of things better than anybody else was doing it. I think the biggest, I think this one suffers from time because the pacing of it's actually not terrible. It moves pretty quick. All things considered. It's, I mean, it's a two hour movie. It's, it keeps, it keeps up. It's like, it's moving the whole time, but it's moving oddly and without direction in some moments. And while I do think it's well acted, I also take huge issue and have always taken issue with the ending because it's just kind of like, I don't want to spoil this because if you haven't seen it, it's a classic and you should see it, but it, it ends with a, here's a picture of everybody and what happened. And like, it doesn't jive. <laughs> like, like a bunch of stuff happened in the last eight minutes and they just sort of wrap it up. And I'm like, nah, that doesn't feel like what happened.
0: <laughs> I hear that. I actually uh, not talking about that part. I actually like the ending of the story of this movie. I do forgetting the wrap up part, but like where, where in the storytelling it actually ends. Uh, I thought it was, I didn't like it the first time I saw it. And then upon rewatch, I've started to like it quite a bit ever since. Um, there's, there's one part in the end
1: that I, there's one part in that sequence. I like the way they, I like the, the, I agree with you as far as where they ended it. They ended it at the right place. Cause if they ended it any sooner, it wouldn't have made sense. And any later, it wouldn't have been as much fun. But there's one particular storyline that is, uh, he has a confrontation with another cop that he's like, there's been a back and forth that doesn't work. And then that comes to resolution. That resolution never tracked to me and still doesn't. And specifically doesn't track when they do the, here's where everybody is now. It's like, nope, that's not enough.
0: <laughs> it's the uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High ending. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's get your next pick in here, JT. All right,
1: My next one is going to be October 20th, 1995 with an 82 on the Metacritic. I'm sorry, was that an 85 or a 95? 1995 with an 82 on Metacritic. I
0: uh. Darn it! That's not one of the ones I had picked for you, uh, but I think uh, keep going. Give me, give me one thing. Uh, let's give you Delroy Lindo and James Gandolfini. So mutiny submarine Silver Surfer Tarantino. Yeah,
1: I'll take that. All right, I'll take that. Does this is
0: get shorty? Oh no, not at all. I'm confused. Not so not what do all. you say? Uh, well, I will. I, I reserve. I, re, I retract. I retract my five words for a future reference point. Okay, well, that, well, it is get shorty. It's funny because <laughs> they similar. There's some. There's similar
1: casts in the same year. Oh, I, and that's funny because I don't know if I've seen what movie you're talking about. So this is fun. All right. Uh, so, what was your description? Let's hear the. Let's hear the shtick. <laughs> uh, Shylock's sunsets, good times.
0: Nice, yeah. nice. Now, before you get going here, and then I'm going to let you roll. I just needed to let you know, my friend, that this is not the first, but the second time you have picked a John Travolta movie. Yeah, for your so, top
1: so I'm going to skip the trivia and come back to it, and I'm going to go straight into my shtick. If you just sauntered into this podcast, this might seem like a totally reasonable pick. An 80 plus percent on Metacritic, a stacked cast, by the way, a great film. But if you're a regular on this podcast, you know that this pick comes with a certain amount of pain for me because of John Travolta. Is this why you were sick this week? This is what made me sick. John Travolta made me sick. Even my belief that he is a one-note over actor, I can't shake this film. I really love this movie. (laughs) Like, it's, it's a classic. It's a personal favorite. And Hackman, along with literally every other person in this movie, by the way, is perfect. Like, this movie is so well done. We've talked about Elmore Leonard on the cast before and how a lot of his work, for whatever reason, did not translate well to film. This one did. He is on record as saying it's the best film and of any one of his books. Um, the thing I liked about the most about this movie is it's like a brilliant balance of silly, serious, outrageous, believable fairy tale and frankness. Right? Like, it's so meta that it's a movie about making movies while satiring the entire movie-making process and the people in that process – Uh, It's just like really brilliant. It's really hilarious. It's a great script. It's extraordinarily well acted, and it still holds up. By the way, like this is a movie that even though there's some outdated elements, specifically around the technology stuff, it totally works. The trivia about this, which is all Gene Hackman based, I thought was interesting. So Hackman turned this movie down because he doesn't he didn't want to do comedies. And Barry Sonfield said to him, "That's exactly why I want you. Please play that attitude on set. You play it straight, the audience will decide if it's funny." Which. I want to go watch this now with that in mind, because I think that's probably
0: hysterical. Uh, you know, I haven't seen the movie in a few years, but but funny enough, most of what I remember of the movie is Hackman's part, and yeah. like that completely strikes with me. That's 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 really cool to know.
1: Yeah, so I read that. I just I, I literally just got to watch you experience the same thing. I read that and went, "Oh my god, he's what sticks out," and it's because he's playing it straight. He's yeah. the only one not in on the joke the entire movie, and it's it's why he's so perfect. Um, Hackman also based this on an agent that he knew, who he said was the phoniest man he had ever met, which I thought was very clever. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, this is this I didn't know, in the book, Harry Zim tells Chili Palmer that he wanted to cast Gene Hackman as the lead in his new film. Hackman is portrayed by Harry Zim in, in the movie. That's brilliant.
0: Love it. Love Same it. So good. There page. you go. All right. December 19th, 1975, a Metacritic of 91. And a spreadsheet 88.5. The only member of the cast I can give you without giving the whole thing away is Christopher Plummer. The description is two con men go after the score of a lifetime with mixed results. And I have the flag I have this flagged as you will probably predict this is on my list. What year is this? Well, that's the that throws it off from what I think you would have thought, but it's 1975.
1: Oh, I don't know if I know this.
0: This is The Man Who Would Be King.
1: Oh, no, I don't have this as you on your list, and I've never seen this.
0: No, I, didn't, I knew you hadn't seen it, because I, when I started texting you that I was going to rewatch it. So I haven't seen this movie. This is one of those I haven't seen it, I, I'm guessing, 25 or so years. Right, This is one of those early 20s, as I was starting to really get into movies, and it makes all those lists of movies you definitively have to see. Never knew it's based on the Rudyard Kipling uh, story so from oh. Jungle Book famia yeah. directed oh. by John Huston who's just done a ton of good stuff and also acted and just great uh, great filmmaker and personality so this movie was amazing to rewatch it was a little tough to rewatch because again the seventies were rough in a few different areas um, you you brought up the casual racism and uh, Michael Caine's character is not the most pleasant of people nor is Sean in fact neither of them. Are particularly likable. They're sort of your almost lovable antagonists. You kind of embrace the whole time, waiting for something to go very, very wrong, which I find is an interesting way to watch a movie. I I, I don't usually like that in a movie. Um, my my favorite or least favorite, I don't know which way to say. It, example of that is a movie called In America, which uh, is about an Irish family that moves to yep. Portland, I think or New York, Manhattan. I can't remember where where I felt like the entire movie, I'm just waiting for someone to come and like break into their apartment or kill them or something. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Did you see that? Yeah, I totally get that. That makes total sense. Right. The whole, like it's filmed as if these naive Irish families, some terrible things can happen to these poor people. Anyhow here, the quick storyline is these two con men basically are, are living in India They've picked this country. It's part of Afghanistan. I, I gosh, I forgot the name already. Kafiristan, which actually is a real province in in Afghanistan, as I've so researched. They decide that they have a way to con them into acting as if they're going to be two lost, long lost kings of Kafiristan, uh, fleece them for a bunch of money, and and run for the hills. That's the basic quest. They go off on their quest. It's it's insanely interesting and good like all sorts of different things happen they trek over the himalayas Uh, everything about it is well filmed well made there are scenes in it where i i watch it i was like how did they do this in 1975 an avalanche sequence that's epic uh them literally climbing what, what actually turned out to be filled filmed in the french pyrenees uh scenes of them mountain climbing scenes that are what you don't know where it is, some beautiful looking place. Turns out it's actually Morocco, not, not Afghanistan, where they filmed it. But Michael Caine in this movie is great. So the two characters, Sean Connery is sort of the the actor, if you will. He's playing. He, he plays the shaman, and he plays this, he plays that. I'm not going to go too deep into the plot of it, but he's the one who's, who's kind of good for the hijinks. And Michael Caine's the thinker of the two, and he's the one giving them the clever lines and making up the story to go with whatever Connery's doing. And they, they pal around great. And by the way, watching Sean Connery and Michael Caine for two odd hours, sounds just it pleasant. It's so yeah. good. And by the way, the two of them in the way of them that you really like. The other thing I realized while watching this movie is I hadn't seen Michael Caine in that full-on leading man role in quite some time. Because most of his work after, you know, the mid-90s, he's kind of a supporting actor. Right? So... Watching him take the stage the whole time, he's got all the charm he has in some other movies that, that I'm sure you know and love. And also has a, a bit more intensity because they are trying to fleece the uh, the, the, the locals of this town are, are, are fully uneducated, they believe everything they say and do, etc. And watching him kind of weave yarns about it, but also have this quiet intensity to him. They're former army soldiers, so they're not like they're not just like lightweight con men, they're like gritty con men. Right. It's a great movie, and his portrayal of Peachy is uh, one for the ages, and I highly recommend it.
1: I want to put this on my list because, as we've said, I have not seen this. And, uh, I mean, the idea of Michael Caine and Sean Connery is so brilliant that I, it almost it upsets me that I haven't seen it, um, but genuinely hadn't even heard of this until
0: you mentioned it. So just not not in my zeitgeist at all. I'm so glad I rewatched it. Because, and by the way, it's going to suffer from some of the things. It's a little slow. There's a couple of hinky things. Not too much of it. Uh, That's great. So give it a watch. All right. I definitely will. Uh, So for me next,
1: let's go to January 7th, 2000. 75 on Metacritic. Ooh. Uh, 2000. Okay. Next. Uh, Let's give you... Kathy Baker and Delroy Lindo for the second time.
0: Is this is this a con movie? No, it's not. You want my description? Oh. Uh, yeah, I do. I, okay, go on. An orphan
1: becomes a doctor who picks apples and then doctors again until he's a doctor again.
0: If it's the same movie I'm thinking of, I wrote Bus Accident Kids Schmalty Schmaltz. Well, I don't know about the bus accident. I don't think that's it. No? Is it the Cider House Rules? It
1: is. Why is there when's there a bus accident in the Cider House Rules? Am I confusing with another movie? Is this what You are? Uh,
0: Toby Maguire? It is Toby Maguire. Isn't there a scene where there's like a bus accident, like the bus falls off a bridge or there's drowning kids or something like that? No, I don't think so. Well, I'm gonna to have to find that movie. <laughs> but it is schmaltzy, right? Oh, it's it's high schmaltz. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. for sure. So I got the, sh- so the bus accident wrong, but I got the Schmaltz and kids right. Orphans, right? It's like an orphan house. They're orphan. It's an orphanage. Yes. There's just uh, no bus. Do you mind if I do a Google while you while you give us your your, your pitch here? Yeah, I'm, I'm
1: happy to have you do that. Sure, I watched this movie pretty recently, though, so I there's, know there's I'm. Definitely I, not a bus I, accident, huh? There's no, there's no bus. There's no chance of just blocking that out, right? No, no I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I Feel pretty good about there being no bus accident. Uh, so out here, I'll give trivia to everybody while this happens because no one will care.
0: I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to look at. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to stay focused on you, my friend, because okay. I trust you, and I, I want to now find out what movie I was thinking about, and that might take some time fair
1: so here's the first the reason that i'm going with this one next do you know who sir michael caine used as his basis for the new england accent in this movie
0: i don't and by the way i'm ready to talk some sir michael caine cbe trivia whenever you're ready because there's some stuff we gotta talk about in a moment but go on uh it was john houston oh that's cool isn't that neat in
1: this movie was Tobey Maguire, the really the big breakout role for Charlize Theron, uh, baby Paul Rudd, who doesn't love baby Paul Rudd, uh, <laughs> Erica Badu, oddly enough, and then obviously Michael Caine. Paul Rudd looks the exact same as he does right now. The reason
0: that we love baby Paul Rudd is because he still is baby Paul Rudd, <laughs> which is by the way something Michael Caine has in common with him. Where I'm watching, I was watching these movies from the seventies. I'm like, same guy from Inception, right there. Yeah, Michael Caine basically like turned sixty eight and has stayed sixty
1: eight. <laughs> like, he's been sixty eight since the sixties, but that's okay. Uh, so, Liv Tyler, Tori Spelling were originally going to be Candy Kendall, and instead it wound up being Charlize, and that sort of broke her out. Listen to this who's who of Toby of who Toby McGuire beat out Leonardo DiCaprio, Ethan Hawke, Edward Norton, Ryan Philippe, Joseph Gordon Levitt, James Franco, Jake Gyllenhaal, Paul Walker, Mark Wahlberg, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Wow. That is a wild amount of A-list celebrities who Tobey Maguire beat for this role. Wow. So why this is on the list, I don't want to go too far into it. This is a schmaltzy movie. However, uh, first and foremost, it's really one of the only movies I have on my list that had Michael Caine in a main role. Right. Even though he wasn't the main, Tobey Maguire was the main, he was like the sort of the other, he was the plus the plus one supporting so aside from that being, like, the first time I've seen him in something like this, like, and it's funny that the list isn't bigger, but it's just not because a lot of the stuff he did, as a, as you just mentioned before, like, he his main character roles were before I was watching him in movies, as it turns out. Uh, he was great in this, though. And I actually do really like the, this movie. There's a lot of, like, it is a, a very schmaltzy, very, very heavy, like, heavy sentimentality movie. There's a lot of, like, really intense um sort of things get brought up right i mean there's there's incest and abortion and it's like in the 40s and there's war like it's a pretty dense heavy movie however uh there's also like his ability to show love and compassion and like sort of just be the things that you want a guy who looks and sounds like michael cain to be (laughs) is really high um it's also a really beautifully well done movie like just from the beginning to the end the entirety of the story, how it's handled, how it's filmed, um, the acting in it is really good. It's just one of those things that, like, I think, you know, it's a 75 on Metacritic, and I think that's probably perfect. It's probably, if it was a little more concise and had a little more reality in how the story ended up, I think this easily would have been in the 80s. Um, and based on how well it was acted, I don't know that it could have been a whole lot less than the 70s because of how good it was. By the way, Delroy Lindo in this was incredible. He's incredible in this movie.
0: You know what would have pushed it up into the 80s? What? A scene with a bus accident. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, might, you know what? That's all. Cider House Rules, if it had just been, you know, O'Doyle Rules and they slipped with a banana peel off the bus or something, that would have been it. And this could have been in the 90s and it would have won all the Oscars. But anyway, oh. I'm going to go with Cider House Rules.
0: All right. All right. Uh, all right. Well, from there, we will stay in a similar time frame. November, by the way, I've been very wrong about where I predicted you'd be today. I'm just letting you know that. I'm being pretty transparent about it. So far, I only got Birdcage right, and I I guess I have two more to go. We'll, we'll see how it, but I guess maybe I had you with Hoosiers. If you if I, if I had pushed into finalizing your lists, I really feel it would have been in your top five. And I'm not going to waver from that because neither of us can prove if I'm right or wrong. <laughs> All right, fourth up, November 20th, 1998. The Metacritic score of 67, which I'd say is a little, tiny bit low, and a spreadsheet of 85. You know what it is. I see uh, I see a little nodding along there. So this is my other top five. Uh, You've you, you now nailed the one. it, too.
1: Was, it was either Enemy of the State or Hoosiers.
0: Listen to this cast, buddy. John Voight, uh, Lisa Bonet, Regina King, Jake Busey, Scott Kahn, Jason Lee, Gabriel Byrne, Barry Pepper, and I... Didn't even mention Will Smith yet. Directed yeah. by Tony Scott. My description in which zoom and enhance is zoomed and enhanced and zoomed and enhanced. That's brilliant. They, they do so much zooming and enhancing in this movie that we not only does the technology not ever work, uh, I think this is one of the ones where they actually replace stuff from behind the camera. If i if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> it's awesome. But I really like this movie. I think it's one of those and, and and from a, by the way, from a raw like Kane Hackman theory kind of thing, Enemy of the State is on TNT, like right now, I'm sure. It's on all the time. And that's because it's fun. It's fun. You can pop into any scene. It it's right in this transition era, right? The late 90s. It's right in this transition era of action movies where they go from maybe like three, four, five action sequences for the whole movie to Almost non-stop action through the whole movie. Like you feel the intensity of this chase. I actually think one of the reasons Scott directs this movie so well is that pacing where it goes fast and it goes slow, just to parallel what's going on in Will Smith's life in the movie. Right. So you, the audience, are on that ride with Will Smith. But it's Gene Hackman that I gotta say pushes this movie over the edge. This is another one of my I don't know how many actors really pull off the simplicity of the back and forth. You blew up the building. I blew up the building because you made a phone call. Like I can't channel his voice. I'm not even going to really try it. I don't know anyone else who could have delivered that that way. I went really thinking about that scene, just that moment. Who else would have delivered because you made a phone call so effectively, but then also like take just a couple minutes to pet his cat. Yep. And I couldn't come up with anyone. I think maybe a younger, it's funny picking up Scott Kahn. I think maybe, maybe a James Kahn. Maybe. It's a bit of a stretch. Maybe like James Kahn circa, you know, early 80s. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I almost want like James Con from The Godfather to have aged just and be just older James Kahn, but he aged differently. Like he didn't act. His acting career, his, his, the characters he portrayed changed over over his career. So yeah. to me, Gene Hackman's intensity here absolutely makes this movie.
1: Yeah, so this is the one that I was probably going to go with as my first. Um, for all the reasons you just said, I actually think I wish more movies leaned into this kind of suspense yes. than, they, than they do. Because it's not artificial. This is naturally built intensity. And it is because of how relatable it is. And uh, Hackman was so brilliant in this. A couple fun pieces of of trivia. So Hackman turned this movie down several times, like several times. Is he just turning
0: things down and then just do them anyway?
1: Well, so Tony Scott kept calling him and said, will you please do it? Will Smith signed on to this at a discount after Independence Day and his career was blowing up just to work with Hackman, which I thought was really, really cool. cool. That's cool. That was cool. The other thing is in this movie, there is a picture of Gene Hackman in a white shirt and tie that's supposed to be in his NSA file when he's a baby, and it comes from another movie that has not come up yet, but I'm pretty sure is about to come up in the next, as your last pick. So I don't want to spoil that yet. However, we'll be talking uh, about that movie. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I, I actually think this is going to be my fifth one, even more so than Hoosiers, just because my... The, the one that I'm waiting to do, it needs to be on my list for me. Uh, I really love this movie. I think you really said it beautifully. The level of intensity and, su- and suspense that's in this and how naturally it comes together is just so much better done. And, and I wish people did it more. And I don't think anyone could have done it like Hackman did. And I also want to give Will Smith a little credit because I don't know that anybody could have done Will Smith's part. Like those two uh, off of each other, right? That varying level of intensity and I, I think – in that moment in time, now I can probably think of some actors present day who could have done it. Then I think Smith was perfectly cast.
0: I agree. I think this is actually one of Will Smith's best performances. It's, I agree. It's, it's just as he's become massive as a star, but beco- before he leans too far into being a massive star. So yeah. he, feels, he feels so genuine. He's, he's got that, you know, he really seems to be running for his life throughout the film. Right, and, and the thing that that reading
1: the trivia made me think about, so the fact that he so badly wanted to work with Hackman makes me feel like he went into this to be an actor, not a, not a movie star, right? Right, and right. I think that comes across in his performance. Like he is, he knows he needs to match Gene Hackman,
0: yeah. which means he he can't do the over the
1: top iRobot screamy stuff. He's got to nail
0: it. Yeah, and he can't do too much fresh Princey stuff either. He's got to hit sort of like. You can't yeah. go full fresh prints. Got to go half fresh prints. That's right. You just got to be fresh, but no prints. There you go. Uh, so wait. So was that one of your picks? Are we back to
1: me? What are we yeah, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back
0: to you because Enemy in the State is going to be my fifth. Okay. Last one for me then, December fourteenth, nineteen eighty-eight, with a Metacritic score of sixty-eight, which I feel is low. Uh, on my spreadsheet, it hits a seventy-five. You have no idea what I'm talking about because I. thought no. this would be your last. I'm sure Jeremy's going to pick this one.
1: Yeah, no, I know that. I, so, so my five word description is swindlers of cash. Comedy ensues, and I know exactly what this is, but I cannot believe it's not a different movie. Oh yeah, you you thought I was going to put the conversation here? How is the you've referenced the conversation at minimum five times on the cast over the thirty episodes?
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, well, we'll talk about when we get to it. Okay. So by the way, my little uh, pithy thing here, just to, now I was really decided I was just trying to throw you off at this point. A wealthy man about town must deal with a feline adversary. <laughs> <laughs> Cause the, uh, yeah, the feline tackle, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. It's good. All fun with the So dirty run scoundrels. It's, it's sort of, to me, the most Michael Caney performance. And okay. about why I put it here is it's not as intense and brooding as man who would be king or some of his other roles, because he he's done some seriously heavy movies throughout his career. At the same time, he is the, he's a you know co-lead. I don't know. Is that the term co co actor, whatever. He's one of the two male leads of the movie with, uh, with Steve Martin. And he's so good in this role at being the schmaltzy thing like he channels his own self to eleven here. He he's so much fun to watch. And I couldn't not put it on the list. So as much as I do love the conversation, I also sort of reached a point where I said, Well, I, I wasn't gonna go four and one for either of the actors. I wanted to three, two split. And I'll talk about why it was man who it, it sort of came down to enemy of the state versus the conversation. So when when we when we get to pun, we'll talk about that a bit more. I have to, we have to, can we take our moment about Michael Caine right now? Is this a, is this a moment for Michael Caine? This is a perfect moment. All right. So Maurice Joseph Micklewhite Jr. was off to a booming start in his career until he literally got laughed in the audience when he was introduced as Maurice Joseph Micklewhite Jr. Because that is definitely not our leading man uh, type of name. So check this out. His first stage name was Michael Scott. Which I- no way! Yeah, yeah. Truth. I just think that's fun. Uh, this is obviously decades before Steve Carell was born, but his agent t- over the phone said he had to change it again because apparently there actually is a Michael Scott. You know, there's this whole thing with the uh, D- Actors Guild, like unique names, yep. right? So, looking, this is this is from from an interview with uh, Mister Micklewhite White Jr. Looking around the, where the public payphone in Leicester Square that he was standing in, he saw a marquee of theaters playing movies, one of which was The Kane Mutiny, and on the spot decided to become Michael Kane. Oh my gosh. He's since joked that had there not been a tree in his way, he might have been Michael Mutiny. And he, <laughs> another joke, don't know if either of these are true, but another joke he's made is that if he looked the other way, his name would be Michael 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> <laughs> I love Michael Caine so much. I love that. Now, here's some other, just some weirdness, just weirdness about this guy. Uh, there's this whole interesting drama about like an, a, a a a brother he never knew. Uh, it sort of takes, it's sort of a rabbit hole, so we're not going to go there. I'll talk about more of the interesting ones. He's been knighted. And in fact, he's in this thing called the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire. And it's yeah. this order of chivalry. It's not just like knighthood, but it's because rewarding contributions to the arts and sciences, sciences work with charitable and welfare organizations and public services outside regular civil services. So I thought that was kind of cool. The dude's done things and, and been a real figure and, and is truly considered one of Brennan's heroes, uh, which we'll talk about in one of, the other, one of the other movies during Pong. But then let's counter that with two awesome quotes. First of all, and and maybe I wish I could channel his voice the way you can, sir. First of all, I choose the great roles. If none of these come, I choose the mediocre ones. And if they don't come, I choose the ones that pay the rent. (laughs) He comes from a working class background. He basically stumbled into an audition one day. This led to what I consider one of the greatest quotes of acting history after Jaws 4 during an interview. (laughs) Here it is. I think I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again because I love it so much. When asked uh, his thoughts on the movie, quote, I have never seen it, but by all accounts, it is terrible. However, I have seen the house that it built, and it is terrific. (laughs) (laughs) So good. I can picture him saying, I can picture, maybe it's on YouTube somewhere. I should just try to find that. So what a long way for Maurice Joseph Mickle White Jr. to have come And so to be able to take that working class background, acting career, intense action, intense serious, intense heavy roles, and then in the late 80s churn out this schmaltzy European, I've said schmaltz a lot today, this like, you know, slimy European con man taking advantage of of women for money and like no nobleness whatsoever other than building a lovely garden and do it so beautifully I had to include this movie. It has a special place in my heart. I find it very funny and very witty. And so there's my uh, final of my top five for the day.
1: I love it. I love everything about it. So I want to I do a plus one on a Michael Caine story. Yeah, yeah. So there's a really cool, um, there's a thing. I can't remember where specifically, but where he's from. They have these like plaques that they put up for people who meet a lot. Like when you're in Jolly Old, you'll go around and you'll see like, yo, this is the house of Michael Kane This is the house of so-and-so and whatever. And it's always like, but they're dead. It's usually when they're dead. So they were doing the one for Michael Kane who obviously is still alive. And so the guy saying to him, he's like, you know, this is a big deal. We only do this for people who are passed away. We've never done one for somebody who is living. Michael Kane says, oh, thanks. The guy points up at the plaque and he goes, see how there's a dash there? And he sees Michael Caine and the year he was born in a dash. He's like, we just left it up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> which is like the most British thing ever. Like, we're just going to put the, we're not going
0: to put a new plaque up. We'll just, you'll die eventually. And we'll put the number up. We'll, there, which we'll I fill was it in. Yeah. So good. I, at least they didn't predict the year and then promised to use some whiteout.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. No, it was good. That, that's great. I love, that's a great reason to have that on here. And I really do wish I could have. So there was one. There was one movie that I almost put in my list because I also wanted a three-two split, but I couldn't do it. I just, I physically couldn't do it. I wanted to, but I couldn't. So I'll go into my next one and I'll, I'll point out what that movie is after. So my next one is January fourth, two thousand two, with a seventy-six on the Metacritic.
0: Two thousand and two? Huh. User, yes, man, I'm doing poorly today. All right, go on. Uh, I'll give you. Let's
1: see. How about Alec Baldwin and Danny Glover?
0: Alec Baldwin, Danny Glover, two thousand two. Is, is it? All right, give me something else. All
1: right, uh, a dad tries to make amends with his family of highly unique uh, individuals with varying degrees of success and failure.
0: It's Royal Tendon Bombs. Royal Tendon Bombs. Yeah. Okay, I, this was on my. All right, I had this pegged for you. Uh, I thought it was yeah. two thousand one. I must have read that wrong. But. uh Great. Yeah. Great pick. Great pick. Yeah. Just just go and hear this.
1: So Hackman didn't want to take this part again. (laughs) Of course not. Uh, The reason, though, is because he thought it would be insensitive because he had been insensitive to his family as a father. And so he sat down with all of his family and said, should I take it? And they all agreed that he should. So I thought that's Hmm. interesting. Uh, Also, throwback to last podcast. uh, You know who another gene that turned down the role of Royal Tenenbaum. Gene, Eugene Levy? Gene Wilder was the original pick. Ah, interesting. Which I think would have been a totally different sort of move. I can't
0: even picture that.
1: No. Uh, also, fun bit of trivia, Danny Glover, Luke, and Owen Wilson all turned down parts in Ocean's 11 to be in this, which I think I brought up before, but it still is interesting to me, because so, you think that would that would have been Don Cheadle and the brothers in Ocean's right. 11. The Wilsons were supposed to be instead of... Uh, Affleck and Scott yeah, on, Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, And then this is not related to to anyone we're talking about, but one of the wildest pieces of trivia I've ever read about any movie ever. So the original hawk that was used to play Mordecai was kidnapped during shooting and held for ransom. Production could not wait for him to be returned, so the bird that appears later in the movie has more white feathers because it's a different bird.
0: They swapped out the birds? He was kidnapped and held for ransom. Well, he was birdnapped. I guess. So (laughs)
1: why this is on the list, two words. Wes Anderson, that's why. Like, that's why he's on the list. I mean, listen, Wes Anderson is a mood, he's a whole vibe, he has a frequency, and if you're on that frequency, he's a singular talent. Um, And for me, it is, right? Like, his aesthetic, his music choice, like, his odd love with these weird telephonic long shots um he's very unique very standoutish composition of individual shots and the way that he sort of puts things behind things in front of things like he's a thing and i love his thing
0: are you a uh are you a are you a tenenbaums bottle rocket or rushmore guy at heart so if i had to rank them it would go rushmore tenenbaums
1: bottle rocket thank you that is 100 percent correct Yes. I'm glad you so one thing i so listen of all of his full-length features and this is the math i was doing before all of his full-length features they average out to be a 77 which is pretty freaking high not bad like not that's bad. not bad um there's only one that i really don't love that he's done and everything and even the one that i don't love is, it's fantastic mr fox
0: you know funny i've never seen that one i the, the one I was going to say that I didn't love was the, uh, I can't remember, is it Isle of Dogs, the most recent? Isle of Dogs, yeah. I, I just I, I, I just had a hard time getting into it. It might have been because I tried watching it on the airplane.
1: Yeah, to, to be honest, that one is my probably my next lowest. Um, when he does the animation-y stuff, which it's the same problem I have with Fantastic Mr. Fox, it's a little try-hard Like, it feels a little like, oh, I'm being really weird and obtuse. It's like, dude, just get over yourself. Like, go back to Grand Grand Budapest Hotel is so beautiful. Just go do that again. Right, right, right. Agreed. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or use the the little animation sequences because you do that really well. But yeah, yeah. it's like like they should be shorts, not full features. Exactly. If they were shorts, they'd be great. And the thing is, is like, listen, those
1: are a pet project of his. He's clearly a very unique guy. He's a different guy. So all of that makes sense. Um, but listen, I just think it's great. And I also think that as Royal Tenenbaum, specifically to talk about Haffman, uh, again, I'm going to steal your rubric. I don't know that anyone else could have done that as well. Like I've spent not a ton of time, but like I spent real time trying to think, okay, who else could have done that sort of like, heartbreaking, but like in a really lovely way, genuine, but not like, and no one jumped out. Like there is no one person where I go, oh, you know, like even like, you know, Bill Murray, who's also in this movie, by the way, um, who like, you know, you think of like playing roles like that specifically when it comes to, to Wes Anderson stuff. No, it wouldn't have worked. Nicholson? Right. Like maybe I even, even that. Well, He's also honest, age. Yeah. Well, Nicholson in anything Anderson doesn't feel like a
0: matchy no. match to me. No. And by the way, since you brought it up and my mind's been stuck there since you brought it up. I am so glad that the Wilson brothers did not do Oceans 11 because Same. candidly, and I like them. So this isn't a diss on them. I think they would have wrecked that movie. Wrecked. I mean, I think they bring such a different vibe, specifically Owen. I think Luke could have pulled it off, but yeah. Owen's the wrong vibe for Oceans 11. You know what I mean? He's, he can't get over that surfer vibe. He just, yeah, can't. no, I, I agree. And I, and I also think that Khan and Affleck are perfect. Like they're yes. perfect.
1: Like yes. they're really, Affleck. really, really good.
0: I actually think it's Affleck that is the magic of that and Khan is sort of the foil to him in a way.
1: Oh, so that's actually really interesting. I think it's the opposite. I think it's oh. Khan's sort of like dumb brother or whatever that that feeds into Affleck being able to be the the hothead. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, same. I think but it's yeah, Affleck okay. Affleck with the with the, with all of the cleverest remarks and and Khan playing a log. Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Uh so yeah, so listen, Gene
1: Hackman Gets my fifth spot. So I'm going to talk, before we get into the actual pawn, I want to talk about a movie that I don't want to necessarily pawn, even though it might be on yours, which would have been my other one, which okay. would have been my Michael Caine, which it's from 1986, and it has a 90 on Metacritic.
0: I'm assuming this is Hannah and her sisters. Correct. The only reason it's not on my list anywhere, I've never seen it.
1: Okay, and that's and that's fine.
0: So, <laughs> I mean, he did win then, an Academy Award for it.
1: Well, so I haven't seen it in a while. And my memory of it is it being amazing. My memory of it also is very clouded by the fact that I used to be a very big proponent and fan of Woody Allen. And the the trope of this whole thing is this like hypochondriac ex husband falls in love with his with his wife's sister. It just is gross in the in the scheme of Woody Allen things. And so it sort of got plucked out of my I don't want to talk about it. So I, w- I want to reference it because Kane was my memory of him in this is amazing, but I, I don't want to go any further.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. I think the, the, I appreciate everything you said. Agreed. I have no real take on it cause I haven't seen it. Um, I'm, you know, I, I think we talked about this in, in a very brief form, but just in case I haven't, because I have a cousin who is a, is a musician, we talk, we've talked at, at length in the, in the past about, The separating the art from the artist and the importance of it, because without doing so, we basically shouldn't look at most of the art we look at and listen to most of the classical music we listen to, because most of them are pretty terrible people. So Woody Allen is in that camp for me of I'm just going to just I don't know who directed these movies, but the movies themselves are quite good and I enjoy watching them. and I'll just leave it at that. And and I, I I know it's not everybody can do that, and that's totally fine. Uh, and I probably need to see the movie because he did win an Academy Award for it, and I do like Michael Caine quite a bit.
1: Yeah, and, and to be honest, like I actually am pretty good with um, most of the Woody Allen stuff, but this one in particular because of the whole like yeah sister that that whole thing just kind of it made it. This one I'm going to have a hard time. Go- this one I'll probably have a hard time going back to. Most of his other stuff I don't you know, like. Andy Hall and stuff I think is fine. Like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't resonate the way this one kind of, well, even that one, whatever. Anyway, moving on.
0: (laughs) By the way, I had had depressed dad, awful family house. Yes. For 10 and bombs. That's great. That's perfect.
1: Uh, All right. So let's do, we'll do pong. So we're going to do, as we have done, I actually really like this shtick and I think it's fun. Uh, You've probably caught on to it again as we've shared some of these. We are sticking to our, describe the movie in five words or describe their plight in five words. I actually found out this week that I didn't know if I meant to, but I sort of did specifically what I thought the character was doing. So, you know, take that for what you want. Uh, What we'll do is we'll do year and then the five word description. Jeremy,
0: you go first. 1974, lonely man records phone calls. The conversation. That's right. So... We'll talk about yeah. it briefly. So if you haven't seen the conversation, many people would, many people, and no one's answered it. There's no definitive statement on it, but that Enemy of the State is the spiritual uh, sequel, you know, 20 odd years later that the character, uh, oh my God, is it Lyle, I believe, uh, has has been hiding out from the CIA this entire time and possibly built this whole bunker thing, which again, he blows up because of a phone call. So in this movie he's eavesdropping on calls, I think for the FBI. I don't really recall which agency and reacting to them. And he's overhearing. And, and if you haven't seen it, it's an amazing film. Won tons of awards. Great cast. The thing is, if I if I really had to go down to which movie i like more, which is mostly what drives our list here, I'll rewatch Enemy of the State today, right now. And the conversation is great. And it's very, very rewatchable, but it's also a harder rewatch because it's it's heavier. It's just a heavier movie. And it's got some of that 70s vibe. So like you were saying, not all the sequences necessarily add up to a perfectly coherent plot. And if you miss a beat, you might miss the whole story. But it is brilliant. And when you're in the mood for like serious film noir, give the conversation a shot.
1: Have you seen it? Yeah, that? I think... Oh yeah, I actually think there's an argument to be made that the conversation I would put over French Connection now. Now that I, I like, so I'm interested to now go watch the conversation since I've just so recently watched the French Connection, and I might flip flop those two in my memory, which which is actually a better film. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, what, what what is cool and just to reference it because we mentioned it earlier. So the the picture of the NSA file of Brill, which is in Enemy of the State, was a shot from the conversation. Right. So it actually like that spiritual sequel thing is like really kind of fun film nerdiness because it's not just like a, oh, maybe it's a nod to. It's like, nah, for real, like they use a picture from the movie.
0: So it's it's not the theory that like Ferris Bueller doesn't actually exist. It's just Cameron, which is all right. It's the, no, no, we're putting putting stuff from this movie into that movie.
1: Right. Yeah. Like Harry Call might actually be Brill later in life with a new name. Like it's it's totally feasible. Yeah, that's dope. Uh, Okay. I'll start with uh, let's start with 2003, Consulting for Court, Kinda. I,
0: I think I know which movie this is. It didn't make my... I, I don't think I saw it. Is it The Juror or something like that? Is it one of the... Yeah.
1: it says Runaway Jury. This is uh, with... Um,
0: oh, my God. John Cusack. Right. A rural Juror? Yeah. Rural Juror. <laughs> the 1995... Mutiny, Submarine, Silver Surfer, Tarantino. Yeah, I don't know what this is. Crimson Tide.
1: Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. I've only seen that once, and I couldn't tell you a thing about it.
0: So I had a hunch. It wasn't... I still have the ones left for what I think you would have picked, so I'll I'll identify them when we get to them. I didn't think this was going to be your cut, but when we were talking a couple weeks back about Tarantino, this is one of the movies where he really earned his chops. There's a whole scene talking about which is the best silver surfer of Marvel Comics, and Tarantino wrote all that shtick. But I kind of thought Mutiny Submarine might be enough for you.
1: Yeah, no, this one's not even on my list. And I literally, like, when you first said it, when you said Mutiny Submarine, I first was like, oh, these are Wes Anderson movies because I was like, that's that's The Life Aquatic, Mutiny on oh. Kingdom, and then I was like, oh, no, maybe he's making references to Hollywood, then you said Tarantino. I'm like, oh, silly movies about crazy things, Hollywood, that's got to be Get Shorty. So, just to give you where I got to from that, but no, I, yeah, this is not even on my list, so well done. Uh,
0: and by the way, when you said that, I was like, oh, maybe Delroy Lindo had a small part in Crimson Tide, and I didn't even remember it. <laughs> yeah, Because yeah, exactly. that has got a crazy cast, like James Gandolfini's in it, which I had forgotten about, Aragorn's in it, I'd forgotten about, like, Great
1: movie.
0: (laughs) Uh, Let's do Hater of Joy, Holiday, and Glee. I mean, that would describe the Grinch. What year do we have here? 1992. No, I don't know it. So this is
1: Michael Caine in A Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, Very
0: nice. Uh, 1972 Boating Mishap Survival Adventure. Oh, I have no idea. The Poseidon Adventure. Never saw it. Never saw it. This no. is Gene Hackman's breakout movie. Oh, well, it's, it's debated like this and um, French Connection, which are a year apart, were like the back-to-back Gene Hackman is a solid leading man actor. It, it, this is where I think he's actually quite replaceable. And I don't mean that with any disrespect. He does a great job and it's a great movie. But it could have been random action star number three, you know?
1: Fair enough. Uh, let's do 2017 old guy steals pensions
0: don't know where are you going with that
1: this is uh, Michael Caine and going in style it was him and Morgan Freeman (laughs) it's actually very it's a very cute like silly funny movie
0: I feel like I've seen it one of those like it's, it's sort of a throwaway movie that's fun kind of thing yeah it was fun it was fun 1971 gangster Avengers brothers badly remade
1: ooh I
0: don't know Get Carter, which is remade with Stallone in the 2000s, Stallone. which Kane has a has a part in actually. So I watched this yesterday for the first time ever. I just I was like, you know, I have got an extra day before recording. I'm going to watch one movie I've never seen that fits the bill, and it's a good movie. It wouldn't it it it's again it's hard to watch. It's it's like violent and angry, and Michael Kane is. It's sort of, sort of like an insane Michael Caine. Like I almost put this on the list for his performance alone. I've never seen him like this in anything else. He is not charming whatsoever. He is a force to be reckoned with, and a, and and he owns the screen. He's in the whole movie from start to finish. But it suffers from the same thing you were referencing with French Connection, where I felt like there were a couple things where I wasn't quite sure how they tied this part of the plot to that part of the plot, but. If you want to see, like, Michael, like, if you want to see, like, Angry Kane, watch this movie.
1: So that's funny. I've, I've stayed away from this because I don't take, um, well, I, I don't take Rocky seriously as an actor. So I've never really bothered to, like, lean into the stuff that he does for the most part. But I've seen the cover art to this so many times. And not I the remake. Sorry, not the remake. The 70s one. Oh, the 70s one. Okay. Yeah, got yeah, that's it. why
0: I mentioned the French Connection type. It's also 1971. And it, that's my point. The remake is mediocre. The re- I've seen it. I saw. I saw it when it first came out, I was like, "eh, who cares?" The original is uh, not quite must-watch, but like worth it if you want like a like a just a rough and tough gangster action thriller suspense kind of movie. With I, I wish I could do Sir Michael. I wish I could just say Sir Michael. I can't even channel it. <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll just when I do with and I go pause for a second. You just fill in Michael K. Okay. There you go. Uh,
1: All right. Let's do 2,000, one that I'm sure you thought was going to be on my list, or at least you were
0: going to joke, was going to be Coach for Scabs, Scoundrel, Surfer. There's the replacements. There she is. (laughs) 1993, Crooked Lawyers, Quaker Oats Guy. (laughs) Is this the firm? It is.
1: (laughs) That's a great description. Oh, that's so much better. I had Lawyers, Feds, Ethan Hunt. Nice. Uh, let's do
0: 2013, Rich Guy, Magic Trick, Bummer. Now You See Me? Yeah. Can You See Me? now? You what, Which one is it? Is it Now You See Me? Now, now, is now, now You See Me, yeah. Catch Me If You See Me. <laughs> Pitch Perfect. All right. I'm, I confuse those movies for some reason. Uh, 2006, Tesla Invents, Beam Me Up Scotty. Tesla Invents? I have no idea,
1: but I love that description so much.
0: The Prestige.
1: Oh, yeah. So I've never seen The Prestige.
0: Dude. I know. I'm going to go I, out right now. I think this is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie.
1: Okay. I know. It's Prestige. So I've started this movie more than once, and both times, like, well, not exactly more than once, twice. And both times it was turned off, not because I didn't like it or something, just because something else was happening. And I've just never actually gotten to finish it. So
0: I'll. I'll Anytime I'll co-watch it with you. Have you seen its Twinsy film, The uh, the Illusionist? The Illusionist, I've seen. This is one of those rare times, both are good. I, I, I know. Well, that's, yeah.
1: Yeah. So you know, I, I want to see this. Okay. Uh, okay, let's do, well, you could you could pick any number. Let's say it's 2005, 2008, 2012. Dad-ish to rich
0: jerk. Oh, uh, I have debutante coming of age story. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> And then I have Crazy Nun Wears Bad Makeup. Yeah, that's fair. Both good. So that, that would be the the Nolan Batman trilogy. Yeah, so, yep. Yeah, begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises. And what's our ranking on those again? I think we differ on this one. I go Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Batman Begins. Ooh, that's interesting. I go Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. And for me, Dark Knight Rises is a pale third of the first two.
1: Yeah, well... Uh... For another time. Yeah, I go back and forth between Begins and Dark Knight Rises because there are things about Begins I really dislike and then there are some obvious dumb things in Dark Knight Rises and I almost feel like Dark Knight Rises are obviously dumb so I can forgive them more than Batman Begins where there's stuff mm-hmm. where I was like, no, that was like a, an intentional choice and you picked the wrong one.
0: <laughs> All right, I want to hear you more on that one. I think that's, that, that sounds very interesting. Okay. <laughs> find, a, find a thing for that. All right, well, it's, uh, it's your turn again. All right, let's do
1: 2002, Dad to a Spy. No idea.
0: Okay. Uh, this is Austin Powers and Gold Member. <laughs> Good one. Uh, Con Game Gold Truck, 2001.
1: 2001, Con Game Cold Gold Truck?
0: I don't know. Starring Gene Hackman and Delroy Lindo. It's a movie called, and DeVito, by the way, The Heist.
1: Oh, I've never seen that.
0: Now, I've referenced to you before movies called House of Games and The Spanish Prisoner. Those yeah. this plus, those two plus a heist are Mammoth's con trilogy and all are perfectly watchable. The heist is probably the weakest entry of the three, but it's still, it's actually, it stands up pretty well. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I'd watch it again. Okay. Uh, let's do 2000
1: dead-ish to a spy. <laughs>
0: no idea again. This is uh, Miss Congeniality. <laughs> wow. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I never even thought of that. Uh, 1988, Civil Rights State on Fire. Oh, this is Mississippi Burning? Yeah, I decided to go literal because it's a heavy movie.
1: Yeah, I literally just wrote racism bad, FBI good sometimes. (laughs) Uh, All right, let's do 2010, Dad to a Thief.
0: Uh, Still no idea. Inception. Oh, oh, nice. I have a remake 80s cult classic, Dreamscape.
1: Yeah, good. so basically, I just want to run through that again. Most of my Michael Caine is dad to spies, dad to thieves, dad to spies. It's just him great. being dads. Yep. Great. Uh,
0: 1978, bird plane buildings spinning earth. Bird?
1: 1978, bird planes buildings spinning earth. I have no idea.
0: That would be Superman. Is it the bird? Is it the plane?
1: Yeah, no, that's great. So fun story, have never seen any one of the reused Supermans.
0: Uh, see the first one if you want. And then if you choose that you enjoyed it, watch the the Donner cut of Superman 2. Do not watch the regular cut of Superman 2. It is just I mean it's not Superman 3 or 4 bad, but it's bad.
1: Right. Yeah, that's fair. I know the plots to them because they get referenced in like pop culture a lot. Uh, but I don't actually I've never actually seen them. So yeah, you just throw them on. You like comics. Yeah, I do. I'm I'm a Marvel guy. Uh, 2011 British spy as an MGB. No idea. This was Michael Caine in Cars
0: too. It's <laughs> just voice work. Oh, forgot about that. All right, did this, one, did this one? 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 Oh, I've got one last pick then. All right. No baby. 2006. No babies. Amazing long take. No idea. This is Cron's uh, Children of Men.
1: Oh wow. Yeah, I missed
0: that one. Okay. Have you seen that? No. So it's known, there's a, I think it's a seven minute long take action sequence near the end of the movie that it's one of those takes that like people who like long takes in movies always talk about. It's sort of like the defining, it, it's the, again, that archetypical thing of a movie. It's a, this is a good movie. I think you dig it. Julianne okay. Moore, good cast. Clive Owen.
1: Clive Owen. I love Clive Owen. Okay. I'll watch that. All right, my last one, uh, only because I just did the other animated one, so there's a hint, 1998, Bad Guy Flies Smushes
0: Littles. Bad Guy Flies. (laughs) Like, uh, for whatever reason, in my head is Space Jam, though I know that's not right.
1: That's not right, but it's
0: fun. What you got? So this is Ants. Uh you know it's funny. I had seen that in the list of, uh, of of the work, and I was like, I like that movie, but I haven't seen it since it first came out. I can't remember anything about it other than it's like Stallone being an ant.
1: Yeah, I, the only reason that I've watched it again is because I have little kids, and I've like I've thrown it out uh, once or twice because I just needed something different. And I remember that being it was again it's it's another Woody movie. So I was like, at least this is well written. I'll watch that again.
0: I, sh- I should have given a little shout out to Bonnie and Clyde. I, 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 they've been on my list. They're, they're actually at the end of my list as like movie you should mention, but forgot to do the five word stick because Gene Ackman's part's not that big in it, uh, but it's such a great movie. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm, I'm just surprised that
1: I thought your list was going to be way longer than mine, um, but I'm, I'm glad that I at least somewhat kept up. I at least kept pace with a number of movies.
0: So here were my picks for you officially. The Birdcage, Dark yeah. Knight. Royal Tenenbaums, Inception, and Hoosiers. Okay. I've actually forgotten uh, about the replacements till we started talking, and so i had already re- pre-written my five. But I, it's one of those like I didn't write it down the whole time because I'm like JT's going to do the replacement, so you don't even need, need to waste like you don't need to wa- waste the key keystroke effort. <laughs> now, well, so funny
1: enough, even though I don't have the spreadsheet, I did try to keep to a similar rubric, which was screen time. And as much as I love Kane, in, like Kane in, in his entirety as Alfred, you could make an argument, but he's not in any one of the movies enough to justify making the list. Agreed. I would, I would argue the Dark Knight as a film would have definitely been on my list before probably three of the ones that are in my top five, because I think it's a better movie. But because this is the Kane-Hackman theory, I, I just I couldn't slide that or Inception. He's not in either of those enough for me to make an argument for him
0: maybe maybe we could add one slot called like all of christopher nolan's work
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, basically might, it would have been I have made it work all right so i'm i gotta tell you i'm proud of us because when, when you said this last week i was like this isn't gonna go well for me but i feel like we did good and i feel like you helped me along so thanks Jar. you're
0: good I think, I think you had some really solid entries i i The whole time you were sort of setting me up for, I got nothing to say, man. I'm like, there's no way you got nothing to say here because you like movies too much, know too much about movies and like these guys. Like the moment you go look at their body of work, it's easy to find stuff. Then the tricky part is like putting it all together. So I I think you, uh, I think you were a little harsh on yourself all week long, sir. Well, listen, I will say this. The cool thing among many
1: cool things of us doing this podcast is I have, like, I'm watching so many more movies. Like, I just watched The French Connection again. I have the conversation teed up and ready to go. I watched um, House Rules again this week because I, like, wanted to, like, familiarize myself with this stuff again. And it's great because, you know what, it's like, it's forcing me to watch good movies. Speaking of which, next week we have agreed, and we should make sure everyone knows that it was a unilateral decision of us on the cast. That next week we're going to do our top five new to me movies in 2020. So all that means is that it's a movie that we had not seen before that we saw during this very, very exciting and different year. And we will rank them. So while that makes it a little bit tougher for you to play along because you've probably watched different movies enough, maybe you haven't. Who knows? However, I think, Jeremy, that is the right way to do it as we, as we approach the ending of the year.
0: Given that we've spent, you know, 300 years in 2020 alone and there's not much new, I mean, the only real interesting new thing of the year in my world is basically doing this podcast with you. So, so dedicating an an episode to what, what we found newness in just feels like a really nice way to usher in 2021, which is just coming not, not soon enough
1: not soon enough uh yeah so that's what we'll do so next week we'll do our new to me top five of 2020 uh and that's it this has been uh you know listen pcu thank you pcu we love you this was worth it this wound up being a lot of fun
0: thanks draws and pigman and everybody but especially thanks to one eugene allen hackman and we can never forget maurice joseph micklewhite jr (laughs) oh thanks for letting us be your wingman everybody